Welcome to Everything You Reviews Sucks, our oh. special Patreon-exclusive movie review podcast. <laughs> Should I put our podcast hosting site has an option to put stuff behind a paywall? <laughs> yes. Exactly. Should I put this up? Just like so a people can episode? pay for this quality content. We'll make $20, maybe. Maybe. If we charge $20 per pay- per podcast... We and may make $20, $20 just because Khalid will be like, why won't you give me the podcast? Yeah, I'll deprive her. I was going to say we'd make $20 me testing it. So maybe we'll make $40. We'll maybe make $40. Admittedly, it'll be entirely entirely from your household. But right. it's I think start. that's still net positive. Yeah. Anyway, you're a noob. I'm Matt. Yeah. I, yeah. For, I got really anxious because I thought I was going to go first. But I realized going first isn't my... The bane of my existence it's going secondist so yeah it's hard to say colin just the, lost her goddamn mind last time we recorded yeah i mean i i'm not gonna say that i i bought into the mass hysteria there but <laughs> um so different episode i mean this week which we led into last week but our third co-host isn't here, so we decided instead of reviewing something from the past, we'd review something from the very present. From the future. Yeah, from the future. Today, guys, we're talking Rise of the Skywalkers. Our reviews, our impressions, 100% based on having not seen the movie at all. <laughs> 100% based on seeing The Lighthouse. Yes, 100%, yeah. So it's going to be a review of Rise of the Skywalkers, or is it Rise of Skywalker? I think it's Skywalker. Okay, Rise of Skywalker, but it is based on Lighthouse, which is a weird turn for the Star Wars franchise. Yeah, a bit different, but I, some bold choices. Yeah, you so know. I thought, you know, so they, I clearly they replaced Kylo Ren and Rey with Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson, respectively. And I think yeah. that's very clear. Like, that's clearly a one-to-one correlate there. It was weird because they wrote Willem Dafoe's dialogue very much like Kylo Ren. Like, him being a sea-shantying old man just <laughs> yeah. carries through. Well, what's weird is that Kylo Ren had always been a sea-shantying old man. And yeah. only now am I understanding why. <laughs> right. It's like I spent two movies roll being like, it. okay, well, that's a choice. In George Lucas's universe, you just never ask questions because that no. just puts you in a precarious spot. The whole so time, you're just like, better like than Jar Jar Binks. So. Right. <laughs> exactly. Oh, God no, damn. No. So we, we actually did just watch The Lighthouse and we're going to talk about it. Oh, um, and I think people knew that. But yeah, this movie was a lot. I thought, I mean, I knew going into it, it wasn't going to be like this very clear cut, like, break down the plot like we normally do for a lot of reasons um but this is directed by robert eggers who had the breakout his breakout film the witch which came out a couple years ago about like witches in new england very atmospheric dread it's apparently getting this like title a24 horror which is the company that produces yeah. and distributes all of these films a24 also distributed hereditary yep. midsummer so it, it is of that vein of horror where it's not very jump scare centric it's more focused on just like dread and uncomfortable situations yeah it's 
I think like all of these movies sit around that like things don't have to necessarily be supernatural to be really, really terrible and disturbing. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot to unpack to this movie. I think unlike Hereditary, um, I haven't seen Midsummer yet, but really want to uh, The Witch. Like this is such a heavily stylized movie um, that on top of all of that, like the human element of, of horror, there's just so much going on. Um, oh, yeah. It's, it's only about two hours long. It went by very quick to me. I don't know if you had the same take of it. Um, oh, it could have easily been somewhere in the area four days long. Yeah. This movie went on for fucking ever. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I have a feeling we're going to have quite different takes. Um, yes. I'm actually, I'm pretty mixed on it overall, just to, to yeah. summarize, but not in the way I was kind of expecting. Yeah. Um, but let's talk about a few things before we get into the movie. Um, how it's shot and where it was shot because i think those are two pretty important <laughs> touchstones i don't know what you want to call them yeah for sure. discussing this film i mean if you've seen trailers for it it is not hiding what it's trying to be it's cut in like four three aspect ratio i don't even know if it's that wide it's oh it feels like you it's one step away from being a vertical phone screen <laughs> yeah it is square or near vertical like i don't uh-huh. even know if it's wide or horizontally which is so claustrophobic especially in a movie theater like yeah i don't even know if it would have the same impact watching at home but watching this giant screen only be taken up like a third of the way yeah um, and it's also shot in insanely like inky black black and white oh like, yeah it's do- well so it ties into the setting. So getting into that second point, which is that it is set entirely on an island in a lighthouse. Yep. And there's like the set is very, very quickly established and that there's no big surprises, no big turns. It is just that lighthouse and just that island. And a vast majority of the movie takes place during a massive storm in black and white. So yeah, it's pitch black black a lot of the time yep uh it's a very high fidelity though i'll say like for a black and white movie you can still very clearly kind of see everything yeah i i'm very curious like what this what happens to this movie in post because there's a lot of shots that and, and we'll get into it i think as we go through as much of a plot run through as we can right. um but there are so many things like when they're drinking booze or when they're actually like staring at the light, like that just looks so good. Um, right. It's not like watching an old black and white movie with like kind of blown out whites and blacks. It's right. just very contrasty and textured yeah. and how they light Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson during like sort of their, um, their monologues in various parts is like right. very much part of the movie. So these people kind of look otherworldly, even though they're just two dudes. Right. Which the movie does a lot to remind you that these are just two people. Yes. Yes. I mean, much like this podcast, it was just two dudes. Uh, and much like this podcast, there was just a lot of like farting and jerking off during the yeah. movie. Yeah. Uh, well, not to get ahead of us. If Are we going to stick to like the technical aspects of this film to start? 
I, I we, we can just a little bit because I have a few more pieces I want to touch on. But sure. Yeah, the movie jumps right into just being like, these people take shits. They like to jerk off. They they have work to do. Yeah. And no, before and Willem Dafoe says anything, he is pissing in a chamber pot. Yeah. He has not said a word. Actually, a word has not been said, I don't think. I think you're right. He yeah. may even fart before dialogue starts. It's possible. It's possible. Because they, they spike the screen for a little bit as they yeah. watch the boat go away. And then they go upstairs and Willem Dafoe, as Robert Pattinson is getting settled, is pissing probably two feet away from him. Yeah, I, I mean, they're doing a lot to establish this as, yeah, turn of the 20th century, maybe even earlier than that, off the East Coast lighthouse. Yeah. Like, these are immigrants, they're not having any luxury of life. Um, one thing that I thought they were going to do the entire movie, and very glad they didn't, there's a foghorn on this island, which makes sense given the setting. I thought it was going to blare routinely throughout the entire movie, um, which it does during d- certain scenes, like if he's working the foghorn's steam engine or if it's insanely tense. But thankfully, it is not a constant, like every 10 second, yeah. like wah, which I was really worried about. Um, but yeah, last the last point I want to make is this was filmed off the coast somewhere in Nova Scotia. So this is a real <laughs> lighthouse and island that they they found location scattered for the movie. Um, in the credits, there's like a few takeaways of like how they developed the dialogue and what sources they used, where they filmed it. So like there's clearly a lot of, I guess, recognition to what they did to make this movie feel of a time and a place. Um, whether or not that gets like grading, I think your mileage will vary. Right. Yeah, it's it's a t- it's not like an easy watch. Like Willem Dafoe's accent throughout the whole movie is damn near indecipherable at times. Yeah. Like, and well, there he's is drunk no... and a, um, and a longshoreman, so yeah, not known for their eloquence. And and it this could easily be you know a stage play. Like there is no change in setting at all. Like yeah. if if the idea of people being trapped on an island sounds boring and dreadful that is like half the takeaway of the movie is yep it is and here's what happens to people yeah yeah i mean it's definitely i think one of the the technical things i'll get into i i would put out so like yeah the the visuals are very crisp despite being in black and white it is a movie that i honestly don't know i don't think it'll translate to home video at all because any amount of compression on that and it's just it's going to disappear it's going to be like the the long night episode of yeah, game, game of thrones, of thrones. you're not going to see shit yeah um, it's it's really tough to imagine this streaming in any way i mean even the music as well cuz there's a lot of silence in the movie where it's either mm-hmm. just score or just the ocean yeah like i think those are also very if you only have two actors right there's going to be other things to kind of fill the void um so yeah, there's a lot going on there that just will not translate well. Um, but I also, I don't know if this is really a movie that like cares about its longevity or staying power. It is 
definitely one of the more unique movies that I've seen in a long time. Right. I mean, yeah, I'll say that. It's definitely, it has a personality. It has like a, it it is not a movie I could very well compare to any other movie, really. Yeah, it, it's it's pretty bizarre. And And before we get into like the plot beats, and I, I keep hesitating saying that because a lot of this movie is playing with the idea of like an unreliable narrator. Sure. Um, but did you have any idea of what it was going to be going in either from trailers? I knew nothing about it uh-huh. at all. I, I don't even think I'd seen that many trailers. I'd maybe seen like one, maybe sure. a while ago. I think like when the first trailer came out, actually, you know what? It was probably when I went to see Midsommar in theaters the trailer for this movie was probably before that. Yep. So that's probably that might right. be the only trailer I saw. And then I knew that it only had Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe in it. I yep. knew there was a two man cast. That's all I knew about the movie. And ostensibly, yes, there would be a lighthouse involved, but nothing else. Yeah. that That's pretty much all I went into it with. I mean, I saw the trailer before probably Ad Astra or something, but it's it's really captivating looking like the scenes they use for the trailer, like when they're stuck out in the storm uh, waiting for the ship or just the shots mm. of the light. Like it is visually <clears throat> quite immersive. So I was sold then. And then I think we get into this in our like takes of the movie, but it is sold, I think, much harder as a horror movie than it really is. Yes, um, I think the trailers definitely portray that kind of inaccurately. But I, I also think that's kind of the beats that A24 is going for. Yep. Um, you've seen Hereditary? Yep. Yeah, you haven't seen Witch? I've seen Witch. At least okay. I think I've seen Witch. I haven't seen Midsummer. Okay, so Mi- Witch and Hereditary, I think you can accurately build as horror movies, right? Yep. Midsummer is towing that line there are horror elements to it but for the most part it is just like this is weird and eerie and this movie draws like more weird and occasionally eerie i didn't find there's no there's definitely no jump scares uh which is great that's that that part i'm perfectly fine with and there is no moment in which i am concerned about what is going to happen yeah on screen it's like there's no none of that like traditional horror where it's like oh shit what's gonna happen it's yeah. more just like what is currently happening <laughs> it, it's more of like unnerving yeah. or just like unsettling than it is like dread or fear yeah um because i mean the stakes are also super low like mm-hmm. these people are pretty undesirables in that sense and and they're self-contained um so it doesn't really have that sense i'm actually glad you mentioned that with Midsummer, I haven't seen it, but I, I've read some reviews on it and then also talked to a lot of people who've seen it, who, who enjoyed it quite a bit. But there's a take that for some of these A24 films, including Hereditary, that they're more of like super black comedies than they are horror movies or dramas, which is a take I disagree with. But yeah, I this one toes the line. This one is the closest to that. But yeah. I've also seen the case made for Hereditary, which I just do not think flies. Um, but 
There are, yeah, it, I, your reaction, I yeah, think, that's, summarizes it. That would be an interesting take on Hereditary. Uh, Midsommar, I can maybe see. The thing is, horror and comedy have always had a relationship. Right, right like, exactly. Like, I think if you're going to make these relatable in any way, right, there needs to be some humorous or just lighthearted moments because the movie just gets tone deaf if it's constantly, like, fear-mongering or whatever. So, yeah. Yeah, there can be like ridiculous or funny scenes. I think Hereditary, I thought Hereditary was terrifying, but there are definitely some scenes that are just ridiculous. Like, sure. And the whole cult aspect, I think, is like pretty over the top in terms of like a conceit for it. Yeah. But I wouldn't, it's a far leap for me to say that that is a comedy. I think this as well, like, yes, maybe you can say there are way more more of those comedic beats but to say this is a comedy is <laughs> a stretch in my in my mind yeah I, I would say so uh there's definitely moments that i laughed um yeah there's definitely moments that i laughed but i wouldn't call it a black comedy also because it's like black comedy uh implies that the the comedy the jokes themselves are playing at some sort of mortality or like yep. it's like playing light on mortality whereas this the jokes are mostly just like body humor it's just like farts yeah, and I, jerking <clears throat> off and stuff like that i think the jokes are very much just like what you would expect like an old asshole to be like or like yeah. what it would be like to be trapped on a rock for for four weeks to eternity who knows yeah um yeah, it's not necessarily like playing at the aspects of their own like yeah, mortality I think is one of the big ones of black comedy or like death of a loved one or a relationship or something like that. Like it's basically just like regular comedic moments in this very unsettling yeah. like overture of of things happening. So <clears throat> the last thing I want to add because it does kind of summarize my takeaway. I read a couple of reviews after seeing the movie just to organize. Well, I tried not to read any reviews. Okay. Yeah. Cause I, I have a couple of film critics that I like to read that I trust their takes of, uh, one of them's on the film club from the AV yeah. club's website, AA Dowd. Um, really like his reviews. He gave this film a pretty high score. Um, but the comments on it, of course, like critic consensus versus fan consensus. Um, Someone described it as a movie that's all subtext and no actual text. And hmm. that that is something that resonated pretty well with me immediately after seeing it when I was reading it is there are so many interesting ideas and things that you can take away and I'm excited to talk about them. But afterwards, unless it's a conversation like this where it's someone who's seen the movie and you're going to spend you know, time trying to parse out like what you thought or what was happening. It's really a weird movie to kind of remember or say like, did you like or not like it? Because it's so scattershot and so stylized in moments right. that you it kind of loses its own sense of like what's trying to happen, I think. Yes. Yeah, I don't know if I could... So the subtext versus text thing, right? It's like, if you asked me what the theme of this movie was, 
I talk about things like isolation and mm-hmm. sort of uh, subservience, almost dehumanization, stuff like that. Yeah, uh, I think that's a big element of it. I mean, the movies like all of that stuff makes perfect sense to me. And I talk about the performances and I talk about how it was made, but yeah, I, I, I mean, there's a lot to talk about with this movie. I, I'd agree. Yeah, there's definitely there's room for conversation. Uh, I tried not to listen to or read any reviews of this movie because I think I would be liable to be convinced that I liked it. Yeah. Uh, well, which is not the, the case. And so the, the, I, the thing that resonated with me reading that is like, it's almost more exciting to talk about and fit your own vision to it. And I'm like hearkening back to high school literature classes where you're like reading this ridiculous passage and your teacher is like, oh, yeah. And the color of the blinds, like you could interpret the character's arousal. Yeah. Like some bullshit like that. And that's what I was thinking of. And I was like, well, it's exciting to talk about because that's exactly what like some of the things in this movie had me feeling like where it's like, oh, interesting. Um, Right. But there's not, I don't think there's like a very clean takeaway um, and very much so like I think that you're just going to apply your own finish on what actually happened. And that's not a positive or negative against the movie. I just think unless you're going to go into it with the idea that it's like I'm going to talk about this film with someone else or, or let it sit and marinate for a while. Like other than that, I don't know if this would be like a classic like let's go see a movie on saturday night kind of thing absolutely not i i do know that is not a movie you could i don't know how you could tell somebody to watch this movie this movie has no it is a movie where what occurs in the movie does not matter at all i could tell you as we will we will talk about the plot of this movie and it has no bearing on sort of the actual message of this movie or anything else. It's like, it is, yeah, all subtext, no text, sure. That sounds pretty reasonable, right? It's yeah, just like, it, it just, it's like, a it's overly summarized, but it works to encapsulate, like, if you were going to say, like, yeah, you're not going to go to this movie and be like, damn, this is going to change horror, or this is, like, yeah. the best thing I've seen, like, it'll it's entirely introspective and like you will either i think love it or really not like it or find some weird person to talk to over the internet about it with and here we are right it's like could you spoil this movie no i don't think so right it's like i could tell you exactly what happens and it would not have changed your perception of the film i think at all right well I, I think, and we'll go through the plot now, but how heavily the unreliable narrator trope works in the movie, I think you'll have different just perceptions of what does and doesn't actually happen based on how you read the characters. Mm-hmm. And then also, I think like the major narrative beats really just serve to like bookmark different places in the story or like open and close chapters and don't really do much in terms of like a plot. Like there's no, you know, real resolution. There's no real like 
conflict it's there from the very beginning and then it ends it's like yeah so before we get into sort of the plot synopsis do we want to just give like a thumbs up thumbs down and then we'll say spoilers from quote unquote spoilers from then on yeah i actually think we haven't said any like tangible spoilers no no and as we just said you cannot spoil this movie yeah but Um, on the very off chance that somebody is sensitive about those things yeah okay so i will give this a thumbs middle i think like if i'm gonna have three (laughs) three positions um because i think the performances are awesome in it i think both willem dafoe and robert pattinson are like really good the cinematography is insanely cool um there's a few scenes in particular i want to talk about um but that point i was making just before this about the all subtext like before reading that that comment was sort of lingering and then after it has just kind of shoehorned its way into my mind probably should have taken your approach of not turning to the internet but yeah it's just so scattershot in ideas and frankly i i need a little bit of narrative backbone or like some sort of hook to to keep me invested so besides those like couple scenes and 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 some of the monologues or performance bits like yeah pretty pretty unremarkable um but still probably the most unique movie i've seen in (laughs) two three years like it's hard to i'm i'm racking my brain trying to think of something that is even in the same vein of just like trying to make a statement. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would agree with that. Uh, I, I would, this is probably the most I have not enjoyed a movie while still being able to recommend it. And so what I'll say is if you are going to the movies to relax or enjoy it, or you had a long day of work and you want to see a movie, pretty much like 90% of the reasons a person might go see a movie, you should not go see Lighthouse, right? But if you're in that 10% where you're like a big fan of movies, you like seeing how movies are made, and you like kind of a movie that is doing something very differently with excellent performances, excellent cinematography, like literally it's 10 out of 10 in many many categories and my score would still be like a two because it's so vis it's such a viscerally unpleasant movie to me but it's really well made really cool really interesting so if you're like a movie fan if you're the type of person who's like i need to see every oscar movie because i legit think pattinson and defoe could be up for oscars for this yeah i think it's we're probably underselling how I think good the acting is in the oh, movie. Oh, the acting is amazing. And I'm, I, the thing is, I hate this movie. Yeah. But it's definitely something you could watch. And so like, with, with that summary, though, like, it almost feels like the movie succeeded in what it's trying to do that you. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily disagree with that. Right. I, like, I, I don't think that I, this may very be well be what it wanted me to feel. Right. In which case, fuck David Eggers. I guess yeah, David. Like, yeah. I think it's Robert Eggers. Right. Whatever. Fuck the um, guy. I don't but yeah, care. like losing track of time, like yeah. visceral disgust, like 
yeah, physical revulsion. Like, there's a lot about this movie that I do not enjoy. And insofar as a movie being capable of making me feel a thing, that's a pretty marked thing. And it's not just like, this is so poorly made that I don't enjoy it. It is an excellently made movie that I don't enjoy. Yeah. So I will never watch it again. Not even if somebody wants to watch it with me. I mean, fine, I could be pushed. But I, I, I almost certainly will never watch Lighthouse again. And the thing is, if you're going to see this movie, you should go see it in theaters. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I don't think repeat viewings is going to pull out much more either. I no. think this is just like, it's all laid there and in its kind of visual appeal and, and, its, and its performances. You're not going to be like, picking out clues of where the plot was going to go because man oh man is it just like scattershot in a totally disorienting way mm-hmm. and i think to to satisfying effect um maybe you disagree but i think now we can we can get into the plot yeah so we'll call it there I, so matt is a middle thumbs up i am a situation or you're a middle your thumb sideways i yeah. would say um i'm probably 90 percent thumbs down and then like a hard thumbs up for a very specific audience fair enough yeah um yeah so the the movie starts out with uh obviously our lighthouse and the previous crew leaving and robert pattinson and willem dafoe arriving um you get those sort of like establishing shots of where they're going to be working. No one's really talking. There's just a lot of like brooding faces in this. And I think works well in the black and white because like all of their features kind of look like angular and and, and sort of fake because there's just that inhuman element of something not being in, in natural yeah. color. Um, and before too long, we find out that Robert Pattinson, whose name is Ephraim, or at least we think it's Ephraim, um, is going through what duties he's going to be doing with Willem Dafoe. They're supposed to be switching off on a few different things, but um, Tom, Willem Dafoe's character, says he's going to be the one who works the light every night, and um, Ephraim will take care of all of the other duties. Yes, yes. So essentially... And Tom is his sort of direct supervisor. Yep. And so he is responsible for Ephraim's ultimate, like, pay and his review and everything. So he's, like, pretty much entirely in charge of Ephraim's life and almost immediately sets about making it markedly worse. Yeah, he's basically a slave driver during the day. Mm -hmm. Um, And then an asshole at night who's trying to get him to drink. Yeah, um, he's like constantly telling him to lighten up at night and constantly telling him to work yep. harder during the day. Right. And and basically saying like, during the day, you're not worth shit. Like, I'm going to dock your pay. Hurling like all these like, like old sea captain type insults at this guy. Right. Um, belittling him. And then at night being like, oh, don't worry. You know, I'm the one in charge. Like, you can drink on the job, you can, you know, cut a little slack, like, don't worry about it, it'll be fine. Right, right. And he's also gaslighting him a little, here and there. Yeah. He'll be like, you didn't do this. And Ephraim will be like, I definitely did that. And he'll be like, no, you didn't do it. Don't Go do it again. Yeah, it, it starts to plant the seed very early on of 
who is actually telling the truth in this arc because the movie doesn't really stick to one point of view but it's very much Ephraim's movie I think Robert Pattinson sure Um, there are scenes that are just Willem Dafoe like weirdly naked in the lighthouse which I I guess we'll get to a bit but um, but even then it's like it's still meant to be Ephraim's point of view because you get the sense that it's like him seeing Willem Dafoe right out of the corner of his eyes like wait is that guy naked and then he won't be like in the next scene yeah so but besides from the few off scenes like it is very much his movie so when there's like all of this conflict between who's telling the truth and who's not and no payoff it's not like the movie cuts to a mop bucket he's like hey yeah i did it it's like you don't know who's telling the truth and they continue that sort of conceit throughout the film right right Uh, um, um yeah so early on when he's working um eventually he is out working the foghorn one night and then stumbles down to the seashore and sees just tons of logs floating in in the ocean yeah and it's it's almost fake looking it almost looks like a 1920s kind of movie like an early black and white cinema kind of effect yeah Um, all these kind of like cartoonishly round logs that are sitting there part ways and we see just a body floating in the water Ephraim being pulled out to sea and then pulled underwater, and then there being just a mermaid there. Yeah. And and this is maybe in the first 10 minutes, 15 minutes of the film. Well, so the first inkling of the mermaid is almost immediately after he gets there, he pulls a mermaid statue out of his bag, out of his mattress. Yeah. And he's like, this is weird, but he just stashes it in a pocket. Yep. He doesn't say this is weird, but that's his reaction. Yeah. And then that's like our first inkling of the mermaid. Then, yeah, he gets pulled under the water and the mermaid's just kind of recurring imagery throughout the movie. Yeah. But this is the first time he sees it. So as soon as it he gets pulled in the water and it's this very claustrophobic shot of him like being up to his knees and then waist and then shoulders and then like up in it up towards his mouth and then underwater. Um I thought the movie was about to take a sharp turn and just being like the supernatural like thriller or something like that. Yeah, and then it's just like immediately pulls back and he just wakes up in bed. Yeah, it's a nightmare. Like, so you you don't know why he's visualizing these things. The the movie doesn't really give you much context at this point. Um, I guess it is important to to note the, the mermaid sculpture scrimshaw thing. that plays like a pretty big role um but yeah he is already getting unnerved being um on the the island and is being just like pushed to his limit by by willem dafoe yeah and one thing i'll say about this sort of opening sequence um leading up to the house in the first few days in the house and you touched on it pre-spoiler break uh which is that that foghorn that's one of the things in this movie that, like, I felt shitty for the first, like, 20 minutes of this movie. Because that foghorn is so fucking loud. Yeah. And it's just, like, it's all you hear, and it feels bad, and it makes you feel uncomfortable. And I don't, that's why, that's one of those things where it's like, how could I tell somebody to watch this movie? It's going to make you feel bad. Yeah, it, and, no, it is, like, actually 
non-enjoyable it is grating to be there and like yeah the moments it's there when it's like it should be relaxing or quiet at sea it's just this like it's not part of the score it's not part of like in the distance it is loud it is abrupt like right it is what it would be if you were on this island i mean and to your point is that what he was going for i don't doubt that however if what he was going the filmmaker came out and punched me in the face and he said no this is part of the movie i'd still be like what the fuck right it's a wide release movie right like yeah you know it's not some art house flick like so you have to kind of put it in that popcorn lens because if you're going to pay ten dollars to go see a movie and you're just like well i felt shitty for two hours um, yeah it's like could you imagine they wouldn't do this because it it wouldn't make sense with the letterboxing but if they had done this movie in imax that sound might kill people (laughs) like it's loud it was loud as fuck just in my my like tiny theater because it's not like this movie is selling out like huge auditoriums but yeah, it was unsettling. And I think later as the storm builds, um, the ocean and the, the storminess also gets really yeah. uncomfortable. I, the foghorn is probably the worst of it. Yeah. And that's very early on in the movie. As it goes on, it's it fades into the background a little bit. Uh, but it it does effectively set the stage of where you should be if your sanity is supposed to mirror Ephraim's sanity, I could see... Actually, I mean, that's a very good way of looking at the movie. If the whole point... If it, if you're trying to make the viewer feel like they are going equally insane, that works perfect. Actually, I'm coming up with this idea right now. It is the perfect movie for doing that. It does that very step by step. It's like this nightmare is the first step into insanity which is exactly what the viewer is feeling, which is like, okay, what the fuck just happened? Oh, yep. we're not going to acknowledge it in the same way that you wouldn't acknowledge a dream. You know, that was really weird. You just kind of move on from it. Yeah. I, and again, it kind of gets back to my point. It's like, this movie is satisfying if you have someone to bounce ideas off of, because there's a lot you can take away from it and go like, oh, well, maybe he meant this. Yeah. Um, but on its own, it's tough. Um just to keep moving along i think we get into some of the beats now where you kind of get this like homosexuality cross with machismo that happens several times within the movie it's like two guys stranded on the rock who have no outlet at all and there's like a scene with robert pattinson like catching willem dafoe through his long johns or like when they're fighting and this close to starting to kiss and then they back yeah. off and start the almost kiss is pretty late i yeah. think in the movie oh uh, you're right that's when when they've yeah. started drinking very heavily but the movie See, does i think a lot to say like there's not too much separating these two men so it's not too much of a leap but no yeah it's 19 zero something and there's no way that's going to happen right yeah so instead they jerk off a lot a lot a lot how do we describe this movie because i'm already sensing that we're falling apart and i don't really know how to get on track with this movie well there's not much of a track right like we can talk about the chores he does like 
he but it's, see it's like it's so unimportant but then right. something happens and you're like oh well he's been doing this this whole movie and now it's significant right like the chores i think you put it are like almost to break him like he shovels yeah. coal he uses a shitty wheelbarrow he carries kerosene all the way up the lighthouse like this massive tankard of it before Willem Dafoe's like, hey, next time just use the small can. The small can which this. he had up with him. Right. So he and couldn't then, have known about it. Yep. And then he has to carry the original can all the way back down. Right. That's one of them. He's constantly getting harassed by seagulls, which becomes important. So this uh, is... I think we could talk about the seagulls for a bit, because this kind of leads into the turn of the movie. Right. It does suggest that there is something greater happening because this one seagull is constantly like attacking Robert Pattinson. And yes, Willem Dafoe is convinced that this old sailor's myth that seagulls are the souls of of men lost at sea and you can't hurt them. So there's this tension already that um tom thinks that the seagulls are sort of sacred and ephraim is pissed off by them right um, and And that escalates if while i was in the movie the thought that i had because you also find out relatively early on that the last guy that tom worked with had died and the circumstances by which he had died are not really super well discussed nope and so my initial thought was that that seagull was the ghost of the guy who had died there previously. Well, I'm pretty sure the seagull has one eye. Yeah, sure. Oh, so, and the guy had one eye who died. Yeah. So, so that it's was heavily my... implied, but yeah. I, I don't think the movie is actually trying to say that. Like, that's what's weird. It's like, I don't think the movie is supernatural in any way. It's just like, hey, maybe you think it is. Yeah. Again, it's like. What do you think it is kind yeah, of like approach? Like, wouldn't it be it. neat? Anyways, yeah. moving on. Right. So he's losing his mind. Like he thinks the seagulls are out to get him. He's doing these chores to monotony as Willem Dafoe scribbles yeah. notes and sits naked right. in the Right, And that's the other thing that's driving him insane. So there's three. So the seagulls haranguing him. He's having mysterious visions of a mermaid. Uh, Willem Dafoe works him to the bone and won't let him up to the last floor of the lighthouse to actually see the light. Which, like, if you worked a lighthouse, goddamn, that would be such a gigantic tease. Yep. Uh, it's a big old light. Yeah. We talked about seagull, seagull chores. Um, oh, and then the book. The book is other big thing. Is that William, William Defoe is constantly taking notes on his performance, and it's locked in a cupboard and i think this was another thing that resonated with me the idea that like you're stuck on this island already and now there's just specific places that are off limits to you on this very finite island right yep. so the top of the lighthouse and the cupboard both kind of occupy a similar place which is just like oh well what's going on here i guess you'll never know yeah and yeah. It, it's basically implied within these three weeks or four weeks he completely snaps because as he's doing his chores one day, he sees a, a woman washed up on shore, tangled in seaweed, and goes to rescue her. And it turns out to be the mermaid again and lets out this like horrible wail, which again, like amazing sound design, like so unsettling. uncomfortable. <laughs> right. He runs inside and does not confess what's happened. Um, and then things i think take like the turn right 
Because he wakes right. up the next day, the water's bloody, the dead seagull's in the cistern, and the seagull's there to mock him, and in a very brutal scene, kills this bird. Oh god, he, vi- he just, he, it's essentially what Hulk does to Loki at the end of the first Avengers movie. Right. Which he just grabs the seagull by the leg and just smashes him against the cistern. Yeah, if Loki exploded. Again. Oh yeah, yeah, if Loki was... A regular person. <laughs> a bloody mess. Yeah. Um, yeah, so he he's now angered the gods. We get this long establishing shot that the winds have changed. Um, and this is supposed to be the day before they leave. And now a storm's blowing in. Right, right. So then the day before they leave, Ephraim kind of finally breaks the ice and drinks because he's like, okay, we're finally leaving. Like, you could take the day off. Uh, so Tom finally convinces Ephraim to, to have the drink. And they, like, have a good time. And then the next day, it's, like, pouring rain. And they're out there waiting with all their shit packed. And the boat never shows up. Yep. Right? Uh, and so this is where, like, things really, really start to deteriorate. Yeah. So the movie essentially just goes off the fucking rails at this point. Right. So up until this time, you're kind of locked into the idea that they're in their month-long stint. Mm-hmm. There's no reason to believe that it hasn't been that month and that the day they go out is not the day it's supposed to arrive. Um, from here, the timeline basically doesn't exist. Like You get conflicting points of view of how long it's been, and there's no real day or night anymore with the storm. It's just always shitty, and <laughs> they're they're like either drunk or hung so hung over from being drunk that right it's hard to tell like what's happening yeah yeah so things get significantly more disoriented and it's literally like two scenes later where the gaslighting starts to take another level and it was important to point out early because it was like very subtle early on but yep. then at one point in time he's like no it's been like we've been like this for a week like, Ephraim's like, oh, well, I mean, it's only been one extra day. And Tom's like, no, it's been a week. Yeah. And no, so- that's where, and, and that's where I was getting at where it's like, the point of views are not clear enough that you know who to believe. Um, because I don't know if it was gaslighting and, you know, Tom has this dark element in his last hand. He drove crazy as well, gaslighting him. Or... Yeah if it's really been five weeks and Ephraim's losing his mind and, and track of time and stuff like that. So the movie basically does not give you anything to grasp onto to orient yourself. It's just like, nope, you're stuck here too with just like complete fucking nonsense. And the scenes I think from here on out are just chaotic. Like, yeah, yeah. So yeah, the few common themes for the second half of the movie, right? Yeah. Is the house is deteriorating. Very fast, yeah. Or, Very or quickly. seemingly fast. We don't know how much time is actually yeah. passing. Uh, Ephraim is revealing sort of his mysterious past. And Tom is kind of like continuously changing the story of what is going on. Yeah. Um, so in terms of Ephraim's past, what he reveals is that he previously worked in a lumber yard. And he had been, he had gone under a different name 
and there was a guy at work that he essentially he hated quite a bit whose yep. last name was Winslow. It, the Robert Pattinson's assumed name was Ephraim Winslow. Yep. But then at one point in time in a drunken stupor, he talks about like yelling at a person named Winslow, right? Uh, and he reveals that there was this other guy at work that he essentially hated quite a bit whom he contemplated killing. Uh, he didn't end up killing the guy, but then the guy got in an accident and fell under some logs that were floating down a river and Ephra, uh, Tom or Ephraim could have saved him Yep, and chose not to. Yeah. It, it basically when, comes down to, it's like he, his guilt of letting this guy die is crushing to him. And he's confiding in Tom Willem Dafoe. Cause they're both named Tom. Um, but yes, Ephraim also reveals that his name yeah. is actually Tom. But what it turns into is like, as he's revealing it, all of a sudden it cuts and like Willem Dafoe is not there anymore, but you just get him saying, why'd you spill your beans? Like over and over, like haunting him, like as he's kind of coming out of this drunken state, like realizing maybe he went too far or got too comfortable. But yeah, yeah, you just like, you get his backstory, but at this point it doesn't really even matter because it's just like, well, everyone's fucking insane on this rock. Right, right. Um, we also have what I think might be the mo- the truest, like, most comedy-esque scene in this movie, but is also probably one of the best scenes in this movie, where Robert Pattinson's drunk off his ass, and he says he wish he had a rare steak, and he's like, so I could fuck it. Yeah. Like, fuck that steak right now. And he's just being super lewd and like super drunk. And then Willem Dafoe's like, but you like my cooking, right? Yep. And it's just such a, like, it's so, it's played so big, but it's so banal. And it's like, clearly they're trying to emulate the fact that they're like a couple at this point in time. And Robert Pattinson refuses to say that he likes Willem Dafoe's cooking. And then yep. Willem Dafoe curses him and like not just curses at him but like wishes that neptune will rise from the sea and destroy him and it's like i don't know exactly the length of this monologue but it felt like it was like five minutes of willem dafoe being like it's long and he's lit where it's like just his eyes like sunken in his skull yeah like willem dafoe looks ill this entire he looks so gaunt yeah and it's so it's like terrifying and then they're just drunk he like laughs it off and oh yeah then robert pattinson's like i like your cooking yeah (laughs) and that's the end of it i think let me go out on a limb when they nominate willem dafoe for best supporting actor probably he it deserves best actor but i feel like it's gonna be supporting actor when they nominate him for that, that's going to be the clip they play. Yeah, it's like fucking crazy. And again, also the point in the movie where I'm like, okay, now it takes the supernatural turn and it turns out he's Neptune. And like, nope, it, it's just totally letting you just project what you think is going to happen and yeah. then subverts it. Like, nope, they're just two drunk assholes. Yeah. So yeah, they're getting more and more aggressive to each other. And that, then like, Tom, who was initially so nice to Ephraim, trying to, like, bait him out, 
at night let me say night tom i guess yeah. day tom is always kind of an asshole but night tom who's been trying to bait him out now kind of flips and it's like well, we, well the why'd you spill your beans it's like oh now he doesn't really like him anymore because now he knows his big secret yeah um throughout this time the mermaid keeps showing up and eventually uh ephraim fucks the mermaid on yeah the beach. so I wasn't sure if this was a flashback to when he first encountered it, what he envisioned actually happened or if the mermaid's returning or what's happening. But he goes through this like insane vision sequence when he's like drunk and in the storm and jerking off like, you know, perfect storm um, of like the mermaid, the mermaid's vagina, which you get a nice shot of um, him fucking the very weird vagina. (laughs) This we this like incredible shot that I wish I could post a still of it of him like running from a naked Willem Dafoe and then Willem Dafoe's face turning into the light from the lighthouse and like beaming down on him. Like there's just so many weird yeah, like fast cut imagery. Yeah. Um, and then he just breaks the the sculpture because he's like, Well, I'm losing my mind. Right, right. Uh he also pulls up the lobster cage at one point in time and finds the severed head of what looks to be the guy who was there last time. Right. So that all culminates. Actually, both of those pl- plot lines culminate in him accusing Tom of trying to drive him insane. Uh, and this is, oh, the other big thing is the house floods and he finds the the book and it's full of Tom just shitting on Ephraim. And yep. essentially saying, like, we shouldn't pay this guy. And Ephraim's whole big thing is, like, he's running away from his past. And he just wants to have, like, an honest day's living. And he feels like this Tom guy is, like, ruining his life. And so he goes on this tirade where he's like, you know, I broke your fucking mermaid statue. I know what you were trying to do. And I found the head of the guy who used to live here. Like, I know what you were doing. Yep. Like, you can't fool me. And it's, yeah. like, it. it's Robert Pattinson's kind of star angry monologue (laughs) yeah it it works really well i think speaking to how well this movie disorients us we skipped a few beats of they have to dig up rations which turn out to be just alcohol no no there's beans under there oh yeah i guess there's the canned beans which plays into the why'd you spill your beans they he finds a (laughs) knife spill your beans it's like yeah there's so many weird like turns of phrases like that that disarm how serious it is like he is just like an old sea captain but um he does find a knife and there's a few scenes where he's contemplating just killing tom in his sleep he tries to break into the light he tries to steal the book um that never is a lot yeah yeah that never really comes to uh fruition until Willem Dafoe disarms him in this sort of monologue that you're talking about. I'm pretty, no, it's even before that he disarms him and they start drinking kerosene, which yeah. is when things go off the rails. Um, yeah, yeah, they go very insane. Yeah. The house um, floods, they find the book. We get to the point we're at. Um, oh, before the house floods, Robert Pattinson tries to steal the boat and escape. And Willem Dafoe comes out with an axe and smashes the boat. Right. And then chases Robert Pattinson back into the house, slams the axe into the table. They're like, they fight verbally for a little bit. And then Willem Dafoe's like, look, you just came at me with this axe and you destroyed the boat for no reason. Like, 
literally seven seconds later, you're like, what the hell actually Dude, this movie happened? does... My middle of the thumbs up is, like, getting pulled upwards. Like, because there's just so many interesting takes like that where it's just, like, yes, it's a consistent beat that they hit with this gaslighting, but it works so well once you start to pick up on it that you're like, all right, who's... What's really happening here? Yeah. Um, It's just, I don't know how much I could recommend that to people because it makes you feel bad. Right, but... It's not a good feeling. It's a viscerally uncomfortable feeling. It is super uncomfortable. Like, and that's why, to me, the movie went by fast, whereas you said it took days, is because it's just like, it had its hooks in me. And I think to that point, it was like, I wanted to see, like, what would happen. I think nothing really culminates, which is where it it kind of loses um, its steam for me. But I think to you, your perception of that is it's so grating and difficult that it's like, oh, get me out of here because. Well, yeah. So it's like the exact it's like a stress response. Right. Like my blood pressure was definitely probably like 10 points higher the entire movie. And I'm stressed out the whole time. And so I get like that time dilation because I'm like, well, I have to pay attention to everything that's going on because it might be important. Yep. And I guess the payoff is that, no, like it literally it, it is actually exactly what's going on which is that these people are going insane yeah but you're like so in it you're so immersed from the sound design to the visuals to everything you're so in their descent to insanity that you don't even know it until like after the movie right and i think the movie this might actually be a horror movie yeah maybe maybe that's what i'm feeling (laughs) is that i'm horrified by it and and (laughs) as we're in these final moments i guess like the movie does just let loose with like the sanity like what is actually happening or isn't happening so um they the the shouting match turns into a physical altercation um it's like another new shouting match right like this is a little down the line i what happens in between finding the ledger and he begs, I thought, and then it immediately turns into like the fighting. He's like, he gets. Oh on his... yeah, he does beg. He does beg for him to like, right? Let him, yeah. Because truly, all he wants is like wages and to fly under the radar. He's like, I'm right. literally just looking for a clean slate, and you're driving me insane. Um, there might be one more day night cycle where they drink again, and then yeah. it turns into the fight. But I, again, I can't remember. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but. It turns into this like brutal fist fight um, between Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson. He gets Willem Dafoe on the ground and starts to just beat on him. And he changes forms between like the mermaid, um, then becomes Poseidon, wrapping like these massive tentacles around Robert Pattinson. And then I was like, again, I was like, okay, it's actually happening. Like, this is going to be it. Right. Nope, it's still just Willem Dafoe. It's just we've lost all touch with reality. Um, and he eventually lies cowering on the ground uh, from Ephraim, Tom, just like beat to a bloody pulp. Yeah. Okay. And so here's one thing that like is a little nebulous and also actually just makes me uncomfortable. Is it implied that Ephraim rapes Tom? It kind of is i think right because he tells him to turn over and get on his knees as it turns out he leads them out of the house barking like a dog yeah he makes him he makes him woof 
which it's like such a weird like the most uncomfortable scenes in the movie are these next two where he uh, tells him to be a dog and walks him out on his hands and knees onto the island yeah um, and then buries alive i think it is pretty heavily implied but yeah it's really weird yeah because i yeah that that was where i was coming from and in a way it's very it's a very good build to ephraim kind of being this sort of totally mad villainous character yeah where it's like yeah he like raped him and then walked him out like a dog and buried him alive yeah um the burying him alive scene is really well done and it's also another scene where i'm like fucking i think they just filmed that with like Willem Dafoe monologuing while Dude, people toss dirt on him. I was trying to think, like, I was distracting myself watching the scene. Like, how did they do this? Because he's literally choking on, on dirt. dirt. I think it's got to be, like, cake or cake something. Cake or something, yeah. Like, something, like, but... I mean, still not comfortable to get shoveled on you. And again, it's just no. this unrelenting shot of just on his face. You hear the shovel picking up another pile of dirt, piling it on him. It's... First, he could talk clearly, and then you're like, Ephraim's got enough of it, and just throws it on his face um, until eventually the the monologue stops. Um, yeah, presumably Tom has choked on dirt and right. essentially died. Yep. Uh, Ephraim dives down into the hole and then pulls the key out of Tom's pocket. Again, another moment where I thought the movie would take a different turn, where he snaps back to his senses and saves Tom. Nope. It is complete yeah. obsession, madness. Like, he needs to know what's up in the lighthouse. Yeah. Oh, also at this point in time, during that knockdown, dragout fight, Tom did hit Ephraim in the shoulder with an axe. Also important to know. Because Ephraim's, like, beaten to a bloody pulp at this point in time. No, the axe swing happens after that. Um. So. Oh, oh shit. Okay, so he gets yeah, the key. So he has the key, he's going back through the house, and then all of a sudden you hear this, like, stomping, and he turns, and Tom is back out of his grave with the axe, and oh, connects yes. with his shoulder. Um, oh, okay, I got these a little mixed up. Yeah. Yes, yes. He knocks him back over, and then just full swing, like, takes the axe, and just, you don't see it, but implodes Willem Dafoe's skull, and gets covered in blood. He's yeah. bleeding out interesting take to it's like a it's an interesting level of restraint for such a movie that doesn't have seemingly any other restraint to then yeah. not just be like yeah we're gonna fucking show willem defoe yeah like crush. the the mermaid shots like all of the shots of the different like tentacles and sea creatures are very kind of lovecraftian the bashing the seagull it's like it hasn't really tried before to pull punches so why that but eh. um but it is pretty conclusive that tom is now completely dead right um and maybe it's like a sign of how if if we're literally in ephraim's head this whole time or if that's how it's supposed to be then maybe it's just a sign of how disconnected he is from that yeah he's, and like on yeah he's ahead. completely just on rails at this point like i don't right. think he is a sh like even a shell of who he was before but it ties into actually who he is as a person because he says even when that other guy went under the logs and died which is not a death that he is 
directly responsible for, but had every opportunity to stop, that he felt nothing about it. He was right. just like, I'm going to go home and pack up my pack and go. And so maybe it's the same thing with this. It's like, yeah, he finally put the nail or the, the axe in Tom's head, as it were. Uh, and he does, it's not important to him that he did that. Like, Yep, it, it's yeah. just another step into what he needs to finish. Yeah. Um, so he is he is mangled now with the shoulder cut, just covered in blood. Like again, the black and white works so well for how this looks because it's yeah. like this tarry black on his face um, and like dripping off his arm and stuff. Yeah. He stumbles up the this the lighthouse, uh, finally has the key and enters the light. It's it revolves a couple of times, and then the lens of the light opens. Yeah. And I'm curious your take on, like, what happens here. So Um, is this not the scene in which we see a naked Willem Dafoe staring down at him and holding, like, it's the, that's what he sees in the light, or am I wrong? Because that's what I thought that actually happened. Does he see anything in the light? I thought it was just... Maybe not. I can't remember. Yeah. Because you get, so the light opens, and you get this, like, Again, fucking wild shot of Robert Pattinson's face just lit up and it looks like it's like dissolving the blood off of him. And he starts like screaming or moaning or something. Um, But it is screaming at the top of his lungs, but it's super like it's washed out. Yeah, it's distorted. It is completely just like distorted all hell. Like it doesn't sound human at all it doesn't sound like mm-hmm. the mer- like i don't know what it's supposed to sound like it's fucking creepy yeah um, it really statics out the mic too i don't know if it was just the theater sound system not being able to handle it but it like starts to get like a little fuzzy at the edges yeah um i don't recall him seeing anything but again you know the no movie... yeah i i think i'm conflating two scenes right yeah um, he does scream i do remember the screaming at the top of his lungs yeah. thing um the screaming overwhelms him and he falls out of the lighthouse, breaks both his legs, it sounds like, and just tumbles down all of the stairs. Um, yeah. The movie cuts to black. Again, thought it was going to end here. Nope. We get an insanely graphic scene of him with his eye pecked out and his entrails being eaten by seagulls just out on the rock. Yeah. And that's it. And that's it. Um, I do, I think you're misremembering the scene. Were you talking about the one where he sneaks up to try and see at the top of the light and sees Willem Dafoe <laughs> jerking like a off? monster? Yeah, fucking but a tentacle probably monster. just jerking off, yeah. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I do remember that. That was okay. a different scene, but yes. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, this movie is very disorienting. But yes, he gets picked apart by seagulls, and then that is officially the end of the movie. Right. With, again, I... I think like a lot of challenging works, like no satisfying, this is what did or didn't happen. This is, you know, the hero getting the way or the villain getting away with it. It's just like kind of unsatisfying or make your own interpretation of it. He might not even be dead. He might not have seen anything like who knows, but this is it. Yeah, I think it's pretty unambiguous that they both are actually dead. You think so? I, I, I'd will, I'd be willing to put my money on saying that they're both actually dead. The exact circumstances of their death are pretty up in the air. Like, yeah. And when they occurred, I'm not entirely certain about. Because he would have had to 
crawl out of the lighthouse to like the seaside and yeah yeah i i mean it doesn't matter right like yeah again this is where it's not like a traditional movie in any way where it's like this narrative arc is the driving force and then there are different sort of artistic touches to tell it it is very much like a take your own interpretation from it here are the scenes i've given you and you could piece it together so yeah yeah i don't even know how disjointed we retold the events versus how they actually happen and that's how all over the place the movie is well yes and i i think it's like splintered out each half because there are two distinct halves right are splintered out in a way that there's like there's four or five ways that he's going insane at any given time and you have the beginning where it's like whatever but you'll be off this island soon and that's kind of like the normal sort of descent into insanity that any of us might have during a particularly trying portion of our life right and then there's that capstone with he fucks up and kills the bird and ends up stuck there for longer and then we have another sort of four or five ways that he's going insane during the storm and some of those are just a logical extension of what was occurring before the storm but uh and and they're all occurring simultaneously and like scene to scene you don't it's not just an a plot b plot oddly enough for a movie with only two characters the actual like story structure is wildly more complex than like a a movie a standard movie right it's like i could tell you the plot synopsis of like a marvel movie right so many sentences right yeah it's like i was just on the wikipedia page just to refresh myself it's like it doesn't matter like (laughs) yeah there is before ephraim starts drinking and after and other than that it's just like whatever and man it is so weird like we are not film critics we are definitely not in an echelon that we can be film critics but talking about this movie is so gratifying that it's like it has to go into thumbs up territory because i enjoyed talking about this film like so much and was so looking forward to it that's what i'm saying we're in that 10 percent, man if you're just like no i know middle of america like you don't have a friend who like could you imagine fucking getting a babysitter for this movie and you and your wife no it's totally the most unpleasant thing in the world it's totally not like popcorn cinema it's totally not like oh this is on netflix i heard it was good watch it kind of thing but i can't remember the last time i like walked out of a movie with so much to like talk about for it like right right we i saw ad astra recently which brad pitt was excellent in but didn't really leave me like thinking Jojo rabbit, which was kind of a crowd pleaser, like a fun movie and, and very funny, but didn't really have like any biting satire. So more of just enjoyable. And then this, and it's like, yeah, was it physically uncomfortable? Was it grading? Yes. Yes. But I still could talk more about it. And if I were to rewatch it, even though I probably never will, I'd probably like be grabbing frames from it and being like, sure. So here's the thing. And I, and this gets to the sort of critic versus viewer reaction, right? Or the critic versus fan reaction, right? With any given movie is that critics who are seeing essentially all movies are starved for 
variety. So anything that follows a standard plot, and and you and I may very well agree on this, but maybe not. I, as a person who has, you know, watched so much TV, seen so many movies, read so many books, and like am a fan of the creation of media, you very quickly realize that there are only so many stories to tell. Yeah, I mean... And- Colleen all the time is getting pissed off at me because I'm like, oh, this is what they're going to do next. And they do that. Or, you know, you kind of come away unsatisfied because the arc is so clear from the offset that you're kind of hoping for a turn or a subversion that is a trick. And one of those ways you can subvert is by, yes, this is actually a pretty standard arc. Two guys are stuck on an island. They go insane and kill each other. It's a it's a pretty it's like a man versus man, man versus nature. Like actually what physically occurs, the events right. are pretty standard plot wise. So this movie I can see being appealing to a critic because the actual standard beat by beat plot is so unimportant to sort of what you feel and experience throughout the movie. Like to compare it to something that made you feel a thing. If you compare it to Avengers Infinity War, which is also a movie that I walked out feeling a little bad after because I was like, they lost. And that this is a big sad ending, right? right? This movie doesn't... It also makes you feel bad, but it's like all about making you feel bad. It's not... It doesn't make you feel bad with a story beat. There's literally one thing that happens in Avengers Infinity War that makes you feel bad, and then you feel bad afterwards, right? It's not just like, oh man, I can't believe this character died. It's This movie is like a perfectly created machine where every gear is in service of making you feel uncomfortable. Yeah, right. It, every element of it contributes to it. The yes. narrow shot, the black and white, the score, the the ocean, the foghorn. The, the performances, the accents even. The right. accent is a choice, right? And you can say, I mean, you said in the credits, like they, they were going for a specific dialogue, dialect, right? Yeah. But accents make people uncomfortable. Right. I mean, I, I've known that since I've taken engineering courses that where you're like, everybody's like, oh, well, I can't understand the professor. Or they're finding coy ways to try and say that they can't understand a guy yeah. with an accent. No, right? and a, like the movie uses that where you can quite literally not keep up with what Willem Dafoe is saying at times. Yes, um, yes. Yeah, there's just like it uses everything at its disposal and does not let off on any of them. Like, right start to finish um yes and, and so it is a movie i could recommend to again 10 percent of people like if you are a person who goes and sees every movie that comes out if you have a movie pass like if you have a movie pass and you haven't seen this movie you're wasting your fucking movie pass this is the perfect movie but pass it's okay movie. all right i'm arguing a bit about semantics then it's like is your rating i'm i'm turning mine to a thumbs up is your rating okay. for the everyman or is it your perception of the movie? Well, I guess this gets to the concept that a rating is a useless thing. It's totally right? useless. It's totally useless. I will say for the everyman, this is distinctly and resolutely a thumbs down. Dude, it's like an F for the everyman. It's like, an F. You will get nothing from the movie and you will probably feel bad. You will even... walk out. 
within the first 20 minutes. It's a movie that like, it's almost like that YouTube video that you love so much and you watch with your friends waiting for their reaction and nothing happens. I wouldn't even show this like, no, because no. it's so just so much. It's just so much. It, yeah. However, under the very specific circumstance that you are a person who like really loves movies, is really engaged, is seeing things like, you know, every week, every other week, really engaged in sort of the art of it, you're going to enjoy this movie a lot. And so what I'm saying is for me personally, why I didn't enjoy this movie is because like it just, it's so, where I was going into the movie was not what this movie needed. Like, yeah, it was like a bright sunny day. I like got a yeah. coffee beforehand. I was like, I can't wait. I ate some chicken fingers waiting for the movie to start. Fucking also Alamo. Do we, we both saw this at the Alamo? Yeah terrible choice yeah. should have seen it in a regular movie theater i know i was thinking <laughs> that the whole time like when people are like f- crunching on like food notches. during this movie and i'm yeah. like watching robert pattinson crank it rightly so rightly and i'm like fucking eating a vegan cauliflower dipped in yeah those are good cheese um, they're good yeah honestly <laughs> they need more sauce yeah every like, every buffaloed thing needs more sauce in my opinion I, we might have come full circle. This is a good horror movie because it is. Yeah, like, I guess it's good. I feel bad about it, but I guess it, it is good. It's like if you're watching these movies, if you're a fan of A24, like if you've seen all three of the movies we talked about, which Hereditary and Midsommar, I think you will probably enjoy this movie. Yeah, I, I am happy to leave it there. Like, I, again, it's satisfying on a way that I usually do not get from art or media because I am so far removed from that world to be able to have it be approachable enough that I could take my own slant away and not so disorienting, but then also kind of fit into like a two hour movie mold. Like I can't remember the last time I had a movie without cracking jokes about that I could talk about and feel like, man, that was, something (laughs) oh yes and and speaking of jokes just to to wrap it up a series of jokes that i thought about which is uh this is a very weird sequel to twilight yeah of course um they should you know you know how they brought back oh spoilers for uh spider-man far from home so leave now i guess if you i'm just gonna tell the joke though they brought back jk simmons as a j joe jameson Mm -hmm. they should bring back willem dafoe as the green goblin but he's doing this voice the whole time i couldn't not because that's become like one of my favorite memes like i'm something of a scientist meme yeah i was just hoping for it i knew it wasn't gonna happen but Uh, i'm something of a wiki wiki oh my god i might have to see this movie again i don't know i i can't i you're right to some extent doing this podcast has changed my opinion of it it reminds me you've seen the lobster yes a a movie i love again i love similar reasons but i feel like on a bad day i probably could have walked out of the lobster being like fuck that movie why did i see that on on a wrong day but i watched the lobster with a group of friends and we watched it together and we were like what the fuck is going on it was so enjoyable because of that this is like marginally more un disconcerting than the lobster yeah okay so that's a good we, we could tie a bow on it here i will if you haven't seen it recommend the favorite which is the director of the i Lob- haven't seen it yet yeah 
definitely watch that movie. We could do another. It's maybe a bit old for it to be like a current review, but liked it more than the lobster. We'll leave it there as like something to do as, as homework. Um, but yeah, this was, this was a lot of fun. Like, yeah, totally didn't expect it. Maybe thought this would be like a 30 minute, like, Ooh, spooky movie. Um, <laughs> not at all. Yeah. It's, and it's just so not that like the fact that this even came out around Halloween, is baffling to me. Yeah. And in more ways than probably any scary movie is going to stick with me of like, Man, I hope I don't have to work somewhere by myself for more than a couple days. Yeah, it does have, it's sort of a, it's like the cinematic equivalent of that feeling of when you stand near the edge of something and you think about jumping off. Yep. This is kind of that movie where it's just like, if I was in this situation, I might too go insane. Yeah. Yeah. The call of the void. Um, Cool. Well. We don't need to do a little stinger. We don't need to think about next week. We yeah, I mean, this to... is just, this has been everything you review sucks, I think. For most people. Unless most you people. have an internet podcast and two nerdy people to host yeah. it. I would say, you know, that's, if we're getting to the sucks of the matter, I'm standing by my 90% of people are going to think this movie sucks. Well, it's also 2019, so almost everyone probably has a podcast at this point, so they could That's just... That's true, so if you have a podcast, you will love this movie, yeah, and exactly. since you have a podcast, I th- I imagine most of our listeners have fan casts for our podcast, Yep, because uh, it's just the, the whole internet is in a, a snake eating its own I just I just can't wait to see the one listen count on this one from me clicking play to make sure it works once I upload it. Yeah, because everybody's going to be like, this is not, without Colleen, there's nothing to, like, lighten the mood. We didn't even do anything remotely like a normal episode. We didn't try to crack fun at this movie. We didn't try to, like, wedge in Twilight Drift. It was just like... Well, there's no Punch Squad either. Right. There's nothing. Well, could you... We I just, mean, could you beat the seagull? Just, but they do beat the seagull in the movie. We just sat down and talked about a movie for an hour and a half with no... <laughs> yeah. Nothing else was to it. So, no. sorry, listeners. We'll be back to normal content eventually. Maybe not, because I think I'm a film critic now. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we've all learned a valuable lesson, which is that... Robert Pattinson, very good at Punch Squad. So yeah, insanely you know, good. Take take Punch that himself away too. Yeah, tell me about it. Yeah. Uh, okay, guys, this has been a very special bonus episode, a Patreon exclusive bonus episode. Uh, thanks to all our patrons. Uh, yeah, we'll for, get listeners if I put it behind a paywall because it'll be so tempting. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Alrighty. See you guys sometime whenever the next episode for real comes out. And yeah, I don't even know when we are right now. Yeah. So see you at another undisclosed period of time right. from now. And I'm going to gaslight the shit out of you when it starts. Yeah. All right. Yeah. The next episode, we're never going to refer to this bonus episode again. No, we can't. It <laughs> yeah. might be. It might it's never a lost get released episode. Right now. <laughs> yeah. um, all right, Anoop. Thanks for bearing with me on this one. Okie doke. <laughs> <laughs>